in narrow lanes and in woods and gardens in some places rarely visited but also in public areas nature's annual metamorphosis is underway trees bow their branches and shake off their dying leaves because it is autumn there is dying back now but rejuvenation will follow in the spring the season's disintegration and autumn's colorful rot is a necessary process we even enjoy the show provided the gaudy dying russet leaves curling and twisting before the rot sets in nature is pragmatic in its actions and brutal in its work the lion destroys the cubs of its predecessor to ensure its own rule and hierarchy the killer whale hurtles up the breakers to drag away a screaming seal tiny baby turtles desperately scramble for the safety of the sea as the birds swoop down lemmings dive down to destruction but in its cruelty nature does discriminate while appearing to encourage the success of one species over another the holistic success of all life is a result organized war between 1914 and 1918 didn't discriminate what happened across europe was indiscriminate it was mass death on an industrial scale Death in action is of course nothing new through history. Extraordinarily, and despite the lessons of the past, experience does repeat itself. Rudyard Kipling was a keen observer of the English presence in Afghanistan 100 years ago. A scrimmage in a border station, a canter down some dark defile, 2000 pounds of education drops to a 10 rupee jazail. the crammer's boast the squadron's pride shot like a rabbit in the ride in the first world war the arithmetic success against cost was spectacularly out of balance the young officer brilliant in his schooling poised it seems for a life rich in accomplishment waits in the trench for the whistle that will send him and thousands of others into oblivion into the hail and hell of metal that waits in no man's land a young private newly married with a child knows that a few yards gained will probably take in return the lives of himself and the man to his left and the man to his right how are you feeling darling not all that good blackadder rather hoped i'd get through the whole show go back to work at pratt and sons <laughs> keep wicked for the croydon gentleman married doris made a note in my diary on the way here simply says bugger when the first world war started in 1914 What did the Manx man and Manx woman in the fields, in the pub or in the street know of European arguments, of one nation's ambitions, 
crashing up against the ambitions of its neighbours, the reasons for alignments and the forming of the power blocks. Man was a small nation built on farming and tourism, but now was offering its young men to be crushed under the wheels of the juggernaut. War is clumsy in its lack of discrimination. In future, there will be even less discrimination. In 1914, it was the young that marched away, the young that fell, the young and their futures viciously, agonizingly broken, mourned by those who'd watched them go, those who hoped for the best, but feared the worst. In 1940. Death reached out, and closed on those who had stayed away from the battlefields. Along with death on the front, there was death at home from bomb and rocket. Remembrance is perhaps easier on a personal scale. We can more easily equate with the single name on the memorial than the mass of names. There is another aspect to remembrance, not the individual grieving for a loss. But on an industrial scale, the depiction of a glorious sacrifice for a just, perhaps God-ordained cause. When the United States sent troops in the First World War to Europe, showman and composer George C. Cohan provided the background music. Second World War, the Horst Wessel marching song was chosen by the German SS as their rallying theme. War has frequently started with brass bands and crowds cheering. But at the end of it all, the brass bands and the crowds cheering is somewhat muted. From the protest film *All Quiet on the Western Front*, the young German soldier returns from the slaughter of the trenches to hear his schoolmaster continuing to exhort the students to follow his lead. I can't tell you anything you don't know. We live in the trenches out there. We fight. We try not to be killed. Sometimes we are. That's all. No, no, Paul. I've been there. I know what it's like. That's not what one dwells on, Paul. I heard you in here reciting that same old stuff, making more iron men, more young heroes. You still think it's beautiful and sweet to die for your country, don't you? We used to think you knew. The first bombardment taught us better. It's dirty and painful to die for your country. When it comes to dying for your country, it's better not to die at all. There are millions out there dying for their countries. And what good is it? 
tell them how much they're needed out there. He tells you, go out and die. Oh, but if you'll pardon me, it's easier to say go out and die than it is to do it. Coward! And it's easier to say it than to watch it happen. For a while in the warm summer sun I've been walking all day And I'm nearly done I see by your gravestone You were only nineteen When you joined the great fallen in 1916 Well, I hope you died quick And I hope you died clean Slow and obscene Did they beat the drum slowly Did they play the fight lowly Did they sound the death march As they lowered you down Did the band play the last post and chorus Did the pipes play the flowers of the I have stood in shocked awe at the approach to Tiepval and seen that immense monument to some of those who died in the fields of France in the First World War. I have ant-like walked among its massive pillars and seen my great-great-uncle Ben's name carved on Luchin's mountainous monument, crowded crowded among the 72,000 names of other men with no known graves who died in this corner of this field in this war alone. That's 72,000 who have no known graves as well as the countless thousands whose graves are known. Remembrance is as much a part of who I am as my Lancashire accent, my father's generous nose, and my hopeless passion for Burnley Football Club, who lost again yesterday. I should also tell you that some of my dearest friends are German nationals, one of whom is mein Patenkind, my godson. I have walked with them in the valley of the river Meuse around Verdun amongst the endless rows of the German dead. So I want to avoid any sense of jingoism, any demonizing of the enemy. For war makes victims of us all. That Christian men and women could gather in remembrance and yet not noticeably actively wrestle with the issue of peace, not use our democratic rights to demand of our leaders other ways of handling dispute, is a challenge I hope we will all shoulder today and every day. 
Sometimes it seems as if there is no viable option to war. And I certainly don't advocate unilateral pacifism. Homeland defense will be a vital call on our national resources as long as there are fanatical and unscrupulous people prepared to initiate war and acts of terror against the defenseless. But we are bidden to take peace and peacekeeping and peacemaking seriously by no other than God himself. On the beach at Dunkirk, I actually prayed. I don't say I learned how to pray, but I certainly prayed most sincerely that I would, that we would get away and see our families again. The late Ernest Ackery, who, along with many others from the island, found themselves facing possible death on the beaches of Dunkirk and admitted to being absolutely terrified. But to wage war on a mass scale, a country has to persuade its young men that they want to fight. Through the centuries, as we've heard earlier, this has been done by exhorting them in a number of directions, pride in themselves, to appear strong in the sight of those at home, but also because their cause is right. This argument, in retrospect, can appear deeply flawed, but it's been observed that history is written by the winners. Shakespeare's version of history was, in most regards, the version favoured by the rulers of his day. In centuries past, the pre-battle speech, which preempted the motivational speech favoured today ahead of major sporting occasions, was designed to show the favoured side in a glorious light. Such a speech, put in Henry V's mouth before the Battle of Agincourt against the French, is an example. But here, taken for modern use in the film Renaissance Man. Brother Benitez, front and center. You study Shakespeare? Drill sergeant, yes, drill sergeant. All right, let me hear some. Go! I said I want to hear some. Let's go. He that lives. Come on, what? What What was that? I can't hear. Come on, go! He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. I didn't tell you to stop. Keep going. Keep going. Go! He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then will he strip his sleeves, show his scars, and say, these wounds I had on St. Crispian's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. For he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in their mouths as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by 
from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few. We happy few. We band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that thought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! There have been examples of men who, when confronted with appalling situations in battle, suddenly draw from deep inside themselves remarkable heroism and bravery. Such a man was Manxman Robert Kane, the only living VC to come out of Arnhem, the battle, to capture a number of bridges in the closing stages of the Second World War. Major Kane, who was a mild, quiet man in civilian life, reacted in an extraordinary way when he saw the carnage being caused amongst his comrades. As far as Major Kane's part, it, it is extraordinary when you read it. Um, it it's almost as if he was obviously a marvellous officer, but for a stage he was, he was with the rest of the men fighting, and then something happened that made him really angry. Uh, it's almost like that. He suddenly exploded, and then after that, he, no matter what appeared, tiger tanks or whatever, he just grabbed a weapon, appeared usually, uh, one of these uh, anti-tank weapons, and just went for it. Yes, but uh, I, th- I quite agree with what you said there. He, he was a, a marvellous type of, of officer. Inspirational. Inspirational, definitely. Very decisive. But he rose to the occasion as well. And when he, he had got as far as, say, one and a quarter miles of Arnhem Bridge, and they were driven back, uh, he took a hundred men under his command, not all of his own uh, regiment, of his home battalion, and then came into a wooded area between Osterbeck and Arnhem and found that they couldn't dig in because of the roots of the, of the trees. And I think being confronted then by, by self-propelled guns and tiger tanks, you, you, he, he was just bloody mad. Eventually, some of those fighting in and around Arnhem, including Major Kane, were able to withdraw across the river. Comradeship, fighting for the man to your left and the man to your right, can extend to being part of a regiment, its history, embracing its tradition. In the television series The West Wing, Toby helps to arrange the formal funeral of a military man he's never met, but who's died of cold, homeless, in the streets of Washington. Hi. Yes, sir. How you doing? I'm fine, thank you, sir. Apparently, I've arranged for an honor guard for somebody. Yes, sir, I'm sorry. No, no, just tell me, is there anything else I've arranged for? We're still in NATO, right? Yes, sir. What's going on? A homeless man died last night, a Korean War veteran who was wearing a coat I gave to the Goodwill. It had my card in it. Toby, you're not responsible. an hour and 20 minutes for the ambulance to get there. A Lance Corporal, United States Marine Corps, 2nd of the 7th. I got better treatment in Panmunjom. Toby, if we start pulling strings like this, you don't think every homeless veteran will come out of the woodwork? I can only hope, sir. When is this thing? I'm going to pick up his brother and go there now.
the sun shines bright on the green fields of France. The warm summer breeze makes the red poppies dance. The trenches are scattered long under the plough. No gas, no barbed wire, there's no gunfire Someday the sun will shine again, and I shall see that still the skies are blue, and feel once more I do not live in vain, although bereft of you. Perhaps the golden meadows at my feet will make the sunny hours of spring seem gay, and I shall find the white may blossoms sweet, though you have passed away. Perhaps the summer woods will shimmer bright and crimson roses once again be fair, and autumn harvest fields a rich delight, although you are not there. But though kind time may many joys renew, there is one greatest joy I shall not know again because my heart, for loss of you, was broken long ago. As he held to his rifle and prayed not to die But the silence of night was shattered by fire As guns and grenades blasted sharp through the air One after another his comrades were slaughtered In a morgue of marines Alone standing there He 
crouched ever lower, ever lower with fear. They can't let me die, they can't let me die here. I'll cover myself with the mud and the earth. I'll cover myself. The earth is my grave Hello darkness my old friend I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seats while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence This year, since February, the sound of war has moved closer to the Ukraine. A slogging, brutal confrontation with trench warfare once again, after a hundred years playing its part. But this war has brought with it a greater possibility from nuclear weapons. So as we recall sacrifice past, we hope and trust in leaders globally that the agonies suffered then are not overshadowed by even greater agonies that are now possible. As Churchill put it, if we fail, then the whole world, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. We women teach our little sons how wrong and how ignoble blows are. School and church support our precepts and inoculate the growing minds with thoughts of love and peace. Let dogs delight to bark and bite, we say, but human beings with immortal souls must rise above the methods of the brute and walk with reason and self-control. And then, dear God, you men, you wise, strong men, our self-announced superiors in brain, our peers in judgment, you go forth to war. You leap at one another, mutilate and starve and kill your fellow men and ask the world's applause for such heroic deeds. You boast and strut, and if no song is sung, no laudatory epic writ in blood, telling how many widows you have made, why then, Penforce, you say our bards are dead and inspiration sleeps to wake no more? And we, the women, we whose lives you are, what can we do but sit in silent homes and wait and suffer? Not for us the blare of trumpets and the bugles call to arms. For us no waving banners, no supreme triumphant hour of conquest. Ours the slow dread torture of uncertainty. Each day the bootless battle with the same despair. And when at best your victories reach our ears... There reaches with them to our pitying hearts the thought of countless homes made desolate and other women weeping for their dead. O oh men, 
wise men. Superior beings say, is there no substitute for war in this great age and heir? If you answer no, then let us rear our children to be wolves and teach them from the cradle how to kill. Why should we women take waste our time and work in talking peace when men declare for war? Fool said I, you do not know Silence like a cancer grows Hear my words that I might teach you Take my arms that I might reach you But my words like silent raindrops fail And echoed in the wells of silence